Pokemon gyms are so much more than just RPG dungeons. Holding a special significance within the franchise's legacy, these thematic battles are an iconic staple of the series. For those who are unaware, the commonplace flow of a Pokemon title is a rise-to-the-top, coming-of-age story as you, the player, battle your way through a set of eight differently typed gyms until finally being strong enough to face the Elite Four and contend for the Pokemon Championship. And with 20-plus years of legacy underneath its belt, the tradition's held for its fair share of time. Now with 55 pro trainers and challenges that have taken the title, 65 if you include the various trial battles of recent main series releases Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, there's only one question that rings true. What makes a great Pokemon gym and gym leader? Well, to answer that, I think we're best suited looking at the assortment of locations and what factors we can learn from their performances to design the best gyms for the series. Hey all you trainers out there, I'm Skip the Tutorial, and this is Boss Battle Breakdown. A deep dive into the ins and outs of boss design. Kicking off with the Kanto region, I think we can analyze this as exactly what its role was within the franchise, the baseline set. Featuring the types that would become regular picks for later games battles, such as Electric and Ice, these fights are fairly cut and dry when looking back now, generations down the road. One note worth mentioning for this set of leaders is the roster shift come Generation 2, as your old rival Blue takes over Viridian City's 8th gym from the defeated Team Rocket crime boss Giovanni. This fight offers a compelling twist to the well-established formula by offering up a mixed bag of types and not adhering to the status quo of one dominant element. By doing this, the battle takes on an interesting level of depth, as the final fight before your elite challenge tests your knowledge of type advantages and matchups. Satisfyingly asking you to actually switch your team around instead of using a beefed up sweeper to clean the entire gym. If there's one thing to learn from the Kanto region's footsteps, it's to not be afraid and switch up the conventions of typed matches, especially in the later game as a final review. Hopping over to Johto, these battles bring with them another break to the Pokemon pattern with their type orders. For the first and last time in the series, this set of gym leaders featured a wholly different set of types than the prior assortment of trainers. And of course, this is due to the nature of being the original sequel, and with 18 types to choose from, there's bound to be some overlap across the series. Unless it's dark, because apparently a gem for that type would be far too outrageous. But with that out of the way, it is worth mentioning the impressive job that these new leaders did for building upon the established formula to keep the series fresh. And while I can sing the praise of the type reversal in this region's Pokemon challenge, the feature that truly sticks out to me is the gym rematch system introduced in the Johto remakes of HeartGold and SoulSilver. Having the ability to score the phone numbers of each of the trainers and call them up for tougher battles in the fighting dojo is a blast. But more importantly than just giving an extra bit of weight to the post-game content in these titles, these rematches also serve to provide an even deeper connection between the player and these notable NPCs, since it shows that the supposedly strongest trainers of the land maintain a place as active participants in the battling circuit, as well as giving the player an all-important frame of reference as to how far they've come in comparison to their old opponents. It's an enticing feature that would be worth revisiting later on in the series. Transitioning over to the water-focused region of Hoenn, the gyms admittedly reverted back to some of the pre-established basics of the franchise. Heck, we even got rock and electric type gym leaders for the first and third spots again. That being said, there were some key experiments that defined the generation's battles, chief among which is the doubles fight against the psychic twins Tate and Liza in Moss Deep City. Sending out two of your own to square up against the siblings Lunatone and Solrock, this fight messes around with a concept that hasn't been properly re-examined in later series matchups. You see, as the franchise has grown to incorporate more forms and stylings for battles, such as rotation and even battle royale face-offs, the gyms of the series have primarily just stuck to the best understood one-on-one -on -one fights. While it might not be within the best interest of the series to have the player go toe-to-toe -to -toe with every gym leader in some wacky format, I do believe that the change of pace offered by these variations breaks up what could feel repetitive in the gameplay especially if they effectively test the player's knowledge of handling alternative forms of combat. 
With a look at Sinnoh in the fourth generation, we should touch on another important aspect of Pokemon gyms, their layout prior to the leader. Typically featuring puzzles, these can offer up their own set of challenges that reward methodical planning on the player's side, but also make sure that those who struggle on the navigation side are likely candidates to face each and every foe in the preparation. Now while sections like Crasherwick's rising and falling water levels, or Volkner's rotating gear platforms get the player some charming puzzles to solve, the one I'd like to focus on from the Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum array of games is Candace's Slip Sliding Snowball Challenge. Asking the player to build up enough of a straight shot for proper snowball breaking momentum, this ice-themed sequence serves as a cautionary source to the intensity a gym layout needs. Tasked with leveling the five snowballs in front of the frigid trainer, this design drives a sense of trial and error, especially since the screen isn't large enough for the player to snag a good enough glance at all aspects of the room in one fell swoop. Partner with the classic tedious movement that can only come from an ice level, and this layout provides an uncomfortable, yet necessary example as to how these moments of exploration should be handled. In the fifth generation, Unova stands as plenty of people's favorite region for the Pokemon League. And while common factors of good puzzles and roster setup play into this, a largely cited reason is for the heavier inclusion of these named NPCs in the game's overarching story. There's plenty of credence to this as well, since the player encounters these leaders in some way, shape, or form prior to their official gym battle. Furthermore, the establishments of characters like Clay, Lenora, and Elisa double as locations for other thematically fitting functions, such as a mine, a library, and a runway, respectively. The overall accomplishment of this design choice is providing the player with a world that feels lived in, and again, plays off the concept we mentioned earlier of building a connection and earning the respect of the opponents you fight against. Nowhere is this more apparent than in the game's conclusion in End's Castle. Being confronted by the Seven Sages at the invasive entrance to the palace, the player tenses up for a volley of matches, until out of nowhere, until out of nowhere, the same gym leaders you had defeated to get there lend a hand and take your place against Team Plasma's foes. If there's anything that Unova proves, it's that giving a story function to these landmark figures within the region sets up a more comprehensive and bookended connection to these bosses throughout the player's journey. The final region, as of the time of recording this, to offer true gym battles is the French-based Kalos in Generation 6. And unfortunately, if Candace's Snowpoint Gym served as a cautionary tale for where the puzzle aspects of these fights shouldn't go, then this whole selection of challenges stands as a do not enter sign for Pokemon boss design. Reverting the story significance of the characters back to the confines of their gyms, these leaders consequently don't leave the same lasting impact that other trainers from previous installments did. Honestly, share with me your thoughts on these bosses, because if you can truthfully remember over half of their names, I'll be thoroughly impressed. It's more than I can hope for accomplishing. Another reason I think these fights are often dismissed as unmemorable is because of the generally agreed upon ease of these titles. Since by nature, we don't grow bonds to a mindless button mashing encounter in the same way we do to a fight where we thoughtfully and carefully plot out our next move on the road to victory. Ultimately, the greatest service the bosses of X and Y can provide us is a warning to err comfortably on the side of difficulty. Because after all, we remember Whitney's Miltank. And if we were to end on that note, the Pokemon series would seem to be trending toward a somewhat bleak direction. But following those regions, the Pokemon series took a great switch up and left gym battles behind in the jump to Alola. Although their initial departure might have been bittersweet, the new additions of the recent Island Trials show some admittedly impressive design. Ditching the confines of gyms for more open exploration segments, the various trial captains ask players to pursue aspects of being a Pokemon trainer past the typical battling of gyms. From studying dances to answering trivia, these folks offer up a set of original challenges that just wouldn't have been seen on your original Game Boy screen. But the aspects of battling still remain with the inclusion of gigantic totem Pokemon, in which the player battles a super-powered-up version of a regular creature that simultaneously calls on other pals to take you on. 
In tandem with the conclusion section to the Grand Trial Kahuna Fights, the Island Challenge gives an interesting alternative to the typical gym format that the series subscribed to for years before. So are the trials the definitive Pokemon Challenge experience? Well, I would definitely argue it's a kickstart in the right direction. And later Pokemon titles taking with them the variety of combat and exploration seen in the Island Challenges would be remarkable. In addition, adding on the intrigue of echoing later story and gameplay beats a la Unova and Johto, all the while experimenting with different formats of play akin to Hoenn's Psychic Gym would give the series a great amount of staying power to partner with the expanding collection of monsters. And should these titles stay mindful of the pitfalls of the generations that came before them, then I reckon Generation 8 and the subsequent games to follow should give a greatly needed switch to the series' traditional ways.